Hey there, misters. Welcome to another episode of Bladed Apples, a horror podcast dropped in your trick-or-treat bag every week. And two people that have played Red Dead 2, I'm Rocky. I'm Blaze. And that's right, we're taking back to the Old West with this episode for an extra stuffed turkey of an episode, just in time for Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we give you a little something to get you through the holiday on your travels to go hang out with family that you may not want to be around. Or you may really want to be around. Yeah, I mean, me and Blaze do, but I know that a lot of people complain about having to go see like all those extra aunts and uncles and cousins that all have um, very different opinions on politics, and especially with some things that have happened recently. Probably don't want to talk about those. But you have to spend the holidays because family, right? Let's celebrate genocide together. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Yay! But... It is also a holiday of giving thanks. So we want to thank you guys for listening. And that's more important than anything. Not not listening to us, but giving thanks. But more important than genocide. <laughs> <laughs> it, that is far more important. Um, but yes, this episode, we will be del- delving, <laughs> deep diving into, <laughs> deep diving into John Carpenter's 1998 classic. Ah. <laughs> uh- <laughs> If you want to say that, I guess. I don't. Vampires. And then after that, we'll be talking. <laughs> after that, we'll be talking about uh, a Western horror video game and Blaze's Cabin of Video Game Curiosities. And we also have a bit of a Western folktale to say tell Not after a bit. that. It's so. totally Western. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I was talking about uh, lengthwise, perhaps. It's about cattle wrestlers. Cattle wrestlers. Well, horse wrestlers. Whatever. I don't know. <laughs> horse boys? I got tuberculosis. <laughs> Lindy. <laughs> probably going to be a lot of Red Dead 2 references in here. I don't know. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Just a lot of bad Arthur Morgan impressions. But before all that, how you been this week, man? I've been okay. Um, Been playing a lot of old Wii games lately. So. Oh, yeah. Not, not, not a wee bit. Not a wee bit. But, but a, lot. a whoa bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what have you been playing? Uh, House of the Dead 2 and 3 Revisited. Nice. Um, fuck, what else? Uh, Wii Sports. Uh, that, that's always reliable. I have, that's like uh, the best thing that came out on the Wii, and it came with the fucking system. Yeah, you know how much that shit is at GameStop now? What, just a sports disc? Yeah. No. 50 Really? It's fifty dollars. I I went online and found it. Well, I wonder why GameStop is having all these fucking financial problems because they do stupid dick shit like that. Well, I, I mean, it's really expensive online too. So I wonder why online's having such <laughs> such trouble. <laughs> online's on its way out. <laughs> we're going back to the, the pony. internet's out of here. <laughs> we're we're going back to the Pony Express. Uh, that and uh, WWE SmackDown versus Raw 2008. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Right on. But you said um, that since you're playing it on the Wii, you had to reenact the moves. Yeah, you do. And it, uh, it's pretty fun. For some reason, my mind just seeing you do that is very funny. It is. So just think about anybody doing it, not you in particular, but just thinking about people having to do the stunner or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but there's also something else that happened this week as well that uh, we're both Jersey Devil fans. 
Yes, we are, and they beat the stupid, dumb lightning. <laughs> Which is blasphemy since we live in Florida, I guess. But uh, Man, I hate the lightning. <laughs> but, but yeah, you and definitely man, don't I like the lightning. man, I love the devils. Yes. <laughs> well, we, you know, whenever we went to that one lightning game to see Pittsburgh play, and we, we were the only two Pittsburgh <laughs> Two two people rooting for Pittsburgh in the crowd. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and uh, they won. <laughs> they sure did. And uh, and and then we weren't very liked at that at that game, I guess. But um, it's always good to see the Lightning lose. We I guess. We were just cheer. We, Sidney Crosby heard you and me. Yes. And he was like, "We're gonna win this for them." Yeah, <laughs> that's actually why they had not a great season this time because we haven't seen them live. That's true. That's true. We've seen live this season, so the Penguins have been kind of eating shit. I've <laughs> but, actually been really surprised how well the Ducks are doing. Yeah, I they know. got like seven straight wins. Yeah, right yeah. Well, I mean, I'm surprised how good the Devils are doing this season. Which, um, if they continue at this rate of having good seasons, they may have a really good season before we die. That would <laughs> so. be really nice. I've been a fan for a long time, and I would really like to see one more Stanley Cup before I die. Yeah, same here. Did you know a uh, fun little horror fact, actually, to connect it? Just to make this whole rambling about hockey a fact. Uh, Matter of fact, Jesus Christ. Uh, round about hockey and uh, connected back into horror. You know why Friday the 13th, why Jason Voorhees didn't have a Jersey Devils mask? Uh, because, you know, Cam Crystal Lake in those movies is in New Jersey. Oh. But the hockey mask is, I think, a Philadelphia Flyers uh, hockey mask and not a Jersey Devils one. You know why? No. Because the Jersey Devils wasn't a team yet. Oh, yeah. No, it was a. Uh... God, what was their name? They they had like the mountain and the sea in the mm-hmm. middle. I can't remember yeah. what they were called. Yeah, they they weren't a hockey team until I think a couple years after Friday Thirteenth Part Three was released. Yeah, I think it was early nineties. Yeah, maybe late eighties. Mid late eighties, I think. Something like that. Yeah. So, little little tidbit for you guys. Um, so I saw a couple new movies. I saw a couple new movies. Okay. Actually, th- really, this week, I'm just going to spoil it for you. This is going to be talking about uh, no good movies. <laughs> this is, so I hope you guys are ready for a lot of jokes. <laughs> but um, I watched two two new movies over the last couple of days. Um, last night, I watched Prisoners of the Ghost Land. Okay. Uh, new movie released on Shutter, starring Nicolas Cage. Have you heard of it? Oh, yeah. He said it's like, it's my wackiest movie yet. Okay, so <laughs> bad. Okay. Oh no. Because I I watched the trailer and I'm like, mm, this doesn't look up to snuff with like Mandy and it's Color de- Out oh, of Space. It's, no, it's definitely not nearly as good as either of those. It's directed by Sion Sono, who's a Japanese director who's actually pretty well respected as a genre filmmaker, and he made a really great movie called Why Don't You Play in Hell. If you haven't seen that, please watch. I don't want to talk about it too much to spoil anything, but it's a really creative, weird film. Um. And he's kind of a polarizing director in a lot of ways that has some really big ideas. He's pretty creative. And this movie does have a lot of big ideas. And it is very quirky. And it's about... Nicolas Cage plays kind of a man-with-no-name type character who's a bank robber. <clears throat> after a botched robbery, gets arrested. And takes place in a town called Samurai Town, I think. I think it's called Samurai Town. Oh, okay. And, uh, it's on the nose a little bit. But. Well, yeah, because it's a samurai film meets a western, which is a common thing that happens because the samurai genre and the western usually mimic each other. Whether it's with Seven Samurai and the Magnificent Seven or Yojimbo and 
fistful of dollars or whatever. They usually reflect of each other. So we're going to take the samurai genre. We're going to take the Western genre by way of Mad Max, which in theory sounds amazing. And we're going to put Nicolas Cage in it, who's one of the most entertaining actors if you just let him go and do what he wants to do. But he gets arrested, and years later, he is pulled out of prison to help this man named the governor find his granddaughter, his adopted granddaughter, the governor, played by Bill Mosley. Oh, so Bill Mosley's okay. in it, um, and he's good in it too, and Nicolas Cage is great in this. Uh, I just wish the movie was better. And so he has to go into this area called the Ghost Land where there's these like post-apocalyptic I don't know, like Ravagers, but they're supernatural of some sort, maybe. And he has to go and he has to find the granddaughter, but he has this explosive suit on to make sure he does his end of the bargain, where there's two explosives connected to his arm, two explosives connected to his testicles, and explosive collar on the suit. And it says, hey, if you try to hit her um, and the sensor picks up on it, it'll blow up your arms. Uh, if you try to rape her and the sensor picks up on it on your cock, uh, the explosives will go off on your testicles. Um, or if you fail to bring her back, we're going to blow your fucking head off with the collar. So he's kind of fucked. Yeah. Um, so he goes on the wasteland trying to find her and craziness ensues. A movie with this kind of concept should be way more entertaining, but it is a slog to fucking get through. It is so fucking slow and boring. And it goes to show you that a movie can be have really crazy, wild ideas. But if a movie is weird and crazy and quirky, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be interesting. Oh, that feels like a lead into the main topic. <laughs> I know. I know, but we'll have another movie to talk about first. I should have probably... <laughs> yeah, you should have, I should have probably that switched one, this one. Because that would have been a great segue. <laughs> I want to talk about the bigger movie next, though. But yes, Prisoners of, Ghostland, Prisoners of the Ghostland is... Um, Nick Cage is bringing it. I like Nick Cage. I'm a Nick Cage fan. I like how crazy he is. And whenever a director lets him do what he... Like, when they let him go full Cage, he's never not entertaining. He's one of the most entertaining actors that we have just because he is so wild, right? Uh, and, and he is really good in this. He just doesn't have a lot to do, really. And it's not as crazy as it wants to be. A, a better movie, you want a good Western meets samurai film that's weird and crazy... Skip this one, go back a few years, and watch Sukiyaki Western Django by Takashi Miike. Sukiyaki Western Django is really weird, and it bends the genres and merges them together, and it's kind of a Django prequel story. Django! Yeah, yeah, that Django. (laughs) It's kind of a Django origin story, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a samurai film, a Western film, and it's really, really wacky, and it's way more entertaining than this. So skip it. <laughs> I say, don't check it out. Speaking of don't check it out, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm kind of a negative Nancy about movies when they come out. And I, when I saw Ghostbusters Afterlife trailer, I was like, this is going to suck. <laughs> I was hopeful, you know. I, I was hopeful because I was so let down. But I don't think it's fair to compare this movie to the 2016 remake of Ghostbusters because I think that's lazy criticism, right? Be like, well, it's better than that or whatever because they're two different things, right? It's, it's, I, I, I think your review needs to stand on its own as reviewing this film instead of comparing it to a remake. But you can compare it to the original one, which you kind of have to. 
because this is a sequel to the first two films. Uh-huh. Um, Ghostbusters Afterlife, I don't think I need to, you don't need to explain what the fuck Ghostbusters is. People know what it is. Um, this is a soft reboot. It is a sequel to the second film directed by Jason Reitman, who is the son of Ivan Reitman, who directed the original two Ghostbusters. Um, Ghostbusters 1 is lightning in a bottle, and that's why it works. Yeah, if you, absolutely. If you read anything about the production of Ghostbusters, there's a lot of books out there. Ghostbusters, that it turned out the way it did and how the culture impacted it is a miracle in and of itself. Um, excuse me, Bruce. Well, I know they weren't going to have Bill Murray originally, right? They were going to have a, a few cast members. It's a completely different casts originally, except for Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. Um, they shot whole swaths of scenes that were cut out of the film. Uh, there was a lot of pullback from, from the studio. There was a whole lot of things going on. And Ivor Reitman just pushed through. And if it wasn't for Ivor Reitman's blood, sweat, and tears, and Dan Aykroyd's quirky script, him and Harold Ramis' quirky script, and then pushing it forward, and Bill Murray's charm, that movie would never sold the way it did. It was just, it was a combination of a whole bunch of different things. And for, I mean, Guys, just look up the, the the what went on with Ghostbusters. There's no reason why Ghostbusters should have worked. Dan Aykroyd probably thought they were filming a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he, he based it off of uh, a lot of paranormal beliefs he actually has. Which, if you don't know, Dan Aykroyd's a crazy person, but I love him. But <laughs> um, Ghostbusters Afterlife is uh, it, it's for the first half of the movie. It's pretty interesting. Um, I was more engaged with the first half than the second half. Um, if you are not a fan of nostalgia and callbacks, then do not watch this movie because that is almost the whole film. Um, I guess I'm not watching it. This movie does not stand on its own. Like, whenever you have a soft reboot, you want a movie that is going to reintroduce, like, okay, we're reintroducing this universe. But we are going to push forward with our own ideas, right? So, you don't want a Jurassic World. <laughs> no, Which you has don't. no originality or nowhere really to go with the story. It's just, hey, who really gives quick? a fuck? Yeah. I'm going to steal this pen. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yes. I'm trying to write my notes in marker. <laughs> yeah, that's why the pen is over there. <laughs> okay. So you can use it. <laughs> Um, so instead, you want to I want to ask before I forgot. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, so instead, when you do a soft reboot, you want, let's say, the Mad Max Fury Road, right? That was great. That's yeah. a great one. You want the, um, you want a Creed. You want something like that, right? You want a Blade Runner 2049. You want something where it's like, yes, this is a sequel to the original one, but we're expanding the ideas of what this universe can be uh, and what it is and what it means. Ghostbusters Afterlife instead just retreads the first movie so much that the second half of this movie, the whole second hour, it's a two-hour and four-minute movie. Jesus. Um, is almost a beat-for-beat beat remake of the first movie. That's depressing. <laughs> it is a fucking bummer. It is cringy a lot of the time. Um, it's Especially you knew they're going to have a joke with who you're going to call. Whenever that joke happens, out loud in the theater, I went, <laughs> like I was so fucking upset. I raspberried in the middle of theory. I was, I was, I, I can't even explain how, how, by the time the credits hit, I was like, what the fuck was this? What did I just watch? I, I, I'm not surprised how let down I was by it. Um, 
positives by it is, is McKenna Grace, who plays the main girl, little girl. Um, she was in um, Haunting, Haunting a Hill House. She was um, young Kate Siegel's character, the one that couldn't touch. Oh, 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 oh okay. Um, she is amazing. She is really, really good. She carries this movie. She really does. Um, really talented for a young actress. Also, uh, Paul Rudd is very charming as normal. He's, yeah, he's actually very good. The most this. huggable man in Hollywood. Yes, right. But there's decisions this movie makes, especially one at the end that I don't want to spoil. That I knew was coming, and it happens. And I think it's gonna be very polarizing what people feel. Um, I actually kind of thought it worked, but I understand how it can be very disrespectful, also. And I'm not gonna spoil what it is. Um, I was surprised because I, I felt it, everybody kind of knew it was gonna happen. It does happen, and whenever you see it, you may take it one way or the other way. I thought it was done well enough. It was a little cheesy. It's fine. But this movie just doesn't expand the mythology. Why do we need another Ghostbusters movie talking about Gozer and the Terror Dogs and Evo Shandor and all this? It's like you have this whole world. It's a good thing about Ghostbusters 2. A lot of people hate Ghostbusters 2, but Ghostbusters 2 at least was like, oh, it doesn't. it's not just about Gozer. There's other ghosts and like supernatural stuff in this world. Like, well, I mean, this... you could easily have just created a completely new villain. Exactly. It, but they easily. don't. It's like, no, we have to go back to like Gozer. It's like, why? It's like clearly Ghostbusters 2 introduced like, no, there's other shit that well, happens. They're, like, banking this... on, they're banking on people being like, oh, yeah, look at that. Call back. Yeah. It's like... oh, oh, that's all this movie is. And and also with this film, it's like I get Jason Reitman and he's going through all these interviews. He's like, oh, I feel like this is my birthright. It's like, why is this your birthright? And also Jason Reitman is a very talented director. You watch Young Adult or Juno or anything like that. He's a very, very good director. But his tone is different than his father. He's not his father's. He doesn't direct like his father. The tone is very different. And you kind of want him to do his own thing, but he's just trying to redo his father's film. It just doesn't make any fucking sense. And it's just like, hey, remember this? The movie is a sharp elbowing into your side the whole time. We go, hey, 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 remember Ghostbusters? Remember Ghostbusters? And it's annoying. <laughs> See, Paul Rudd could have just accidentally got somebody pregnant with a ghost. That would have been way more there interesting. There you go. <laughs> that would have been way better. Just remake Juno with Paul Rudd and the Rape Ghost. The Rape Ghost from American Horror Story Season 1. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I say don't check it out. I, I, I'm very disappointed. And, you know, I'm a huge Ghostbusters fan, uh, as Blaze knows. It's, it's one of my favorite movies. And, and uh, It is? Uh, yes. <laughs> you can't tell where my house it is. Um, and as a lot of people, Ghostbusters is very important. It's a very important franchise. But I think it goes to show you that this franchise, for some reason, you can't replicate it. What, what the magic of what that first movie is. Or can you? We may get into that later on. But first, <laughs> let's go into our main topic. <laughs> Yeehaw. <laughs> uh, we decided to do a Western episode. We were going to originally talk about another film. Uh, one that I, I'm actually, I actually enjoy, even though the ratings are horrible. And I have never seen I never even heard of it. Ghost Town? Yeah. No, yeah. Ghost Town, uh, 1988, I think it was. Yeah, 1988. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, I was taking a drink of coffee. It's, you know, a story about a a small-town sheriff who goes to find this lost girl and finds out she's been taken by this town of uh, western ghosts. It's fun. Yeah, it sounds really, really fun. Probably way funner than this film. Oh, Um, yeah. (laughs) But it was impossible to find. Yeah, at least streaming You can't stream it. You can't can't rent it. it. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't even um, find on YouTube. Usually with a movie, you can't find streaming it where somebody puts on YouTube because probably at that time, it's just about public domain. I mean, Damn Lost Boys is on YouTube. Yeah, it's crazy. 
the only thing you can find is an outrageously priced Blu-ray of it or an import of it uh, on Amazon or eBay. Well, yeah, I, th- the- I think the Blu-ray, the outer print DVD, not even a Blu-ray, the outer print DVD is like, was like 170 bucks, and I wasn't going to pay that. I, I found them for ten dollars, but it was like coming from China, so it'd be it would like, take a long. It time. would take a long time, yeah. not in time for the episode. So yeah, so we decided to do another Western because we wanted to connect into a game you're going to talk about later. And, and I really regret a, that decision. <laughs> have an old West folktale we're going to tell later. And, uh, yeah, we decided, we after looking around at different Western horror films, we could have done something really good, like Bone Tomahawk. <laughs> or or we could have made a stretch and done, like, From Dust Till Dawn. Well, that would have been a stretch. From Dust Till Dawn, we could have done. Or we could have done more of a stretch. And but, done, again, like, those Pearl are Rider. pretty well-known <laughs> Yeah, and we could do one that has like a supernatural quality, like Pale Rider or something like that. This one's more infamous. <laughs> yeah, so we chose this one, which I, I knew there'd be a lot of material, and goddamn, was there? Because I have this is the most notes I took. <laughs> because it just other than this being a long episode is is a, or a bigger episode because we have a lot to go through. It's just with this movie, I took so many notes because there's so much to talk about. But we settled on John Carpenter's 1998 film. John Carpenter's Vampires. Um, oh, boy. Where do we even start? Um, why don't we go through the cast a little bit? Okay. Um, and uh, also, real fun fact, one of the uh, uh, effects makeup people is Greg Nicotero. Yeah. yeah. And the makeup's good. The, the, there is some go- good gore stuff in it. There's a part where somebody gets like ripped in half. It looks really good. There's a, a decapitation. looks really good. There's, there's some stuff that... Actually, some of the not some all the like makeup effects are, are well done. Yeah, right? yeah, they are. And uh, so yeah, do you want me to run through the cast really quick? Uh, first, let me say, directed by John Carpenter, of course, and written by Dan Jacoby. But I'll get to the writers later on. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Go 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 for the cast though. Infamously starring <laughs> a very polarizing actor known as James Woods. <laughs> Who I believe plays himself in this movie. You may know James Woods as Hades from Hercules, or Max from Videodrome. Or Family Guy. Or Family Guy, where he's hunting for candy. Or where he just plays himself in that also, literally plays himself in that. Um, He plays a character named Jack Crow, who is a fucking maniac. (laughs) Who I believe is actually just James Woods. Uh, we'll, We'll get to that. We have... Daniel Baldwin, uh, who was in things such as Car 54, Where Are You, and The Sopranos, and a bunch of other crap nobody cares about. He was in, uh, he's, he's one of the lesser Baldwins, which is all the Baldwins that's not Alec Baldwin. Yep. It's he- any of his lookalike brothers where they don't feel like paying to get Alec Baldwin. Actually, uh, I'll just say this now. They, they, Alec Baldwin was signed on to do this movie originally. Oh, Okay. Uh, but he had a scheduling conflict. He was actually, uh, he really wanted to be in a John Carpenter film. Let's just say this later, but I'll just say it now since you're uh, talking about getting He got kicked out. off the flight on the way there. <laughs> um, he, he had to do another film. So he was really excited to do this because he wanted to work with John Carpenter. So he's just like, hey, why don't you get my uh, fatter, less talented brother? <laughs> <laughs> Who plays Anthony Montoya, yeah, the well, vampire zipline expert. <laughs> 
literally his only fucking job. What an easy job. Just I know. Work. If I was part of a vampire hunting team, I want to be the guy standing in the daylight who just zip lines people <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, just hit my, my winch button and they get winched back out into the sunlight. Yeah. Um, then we have Cheryl Lee, uh, mm-hmm. which I would say is best known as Laura Palmer from yeah, Twin Peaks. Absolutely what she's known for. Um, she was also in Wild at Heart. And she plays Katrina, who is a uh, prostitute who really gets the shit end of the stick in this movie. She's not bad in the film, though. No, I, I, she's I, not. I mean, she's I, definitely objectified in this film and not not well taken care of. But Shirley this, is it, actually a, a James very, Woods makes this such a sexist movie. James Woods. That and Daniel Baldwin. James Woods. Oh, yes, both of them. James Woods is actually... Um, We'll get into it more, but James Woods in this movie is kind of what makes it entertaining, just because of how baffling it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, Cheryl Lee, though, is, I think, very underrated. Uh, everything she did as Laura Palmer, in uh, particularly Twin Peaks, uh, especially uh, Firewalk With Me, was is... Uh, just as she plays this tortured character and, and everything as Laura Palmer, it takes, it takes a lot of very, it takes a, a talented actress to do this, and I think that that she does pain and and, and she was probably the best well. uh, actor they had. Oh, in this movie, yeah, 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 and and, and she's almost like in a daze the whole time, <laughs> yeah, writing wise. <laughs> um, then we have Thomas Ian Griffith who plays the master vampire. Jan Valak, who you can find on weekends dancing under a bridge with glow sticks. Um, the, be- the best movies I could find him in were Time Cop 2 and Karate Kid Part 3. Yeah, he's not for Karate Kid Part 3, but he's a stuntman. Oh, is he a stuntman? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes more sense. He was actually recommended for the movie to John Carpenter um, because they wanted somebody that was, uh, I think it was from the producer of the film or executive producer. Um, and she want she recommended him because she wanted somebody that was formidable but alluring. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> um, then we have Maximilian Schell, um, who was in uh, two movies that are pretty well known: A Bridge Too Far and Deep Impact. Yes, uh, he plays Cardinal Alba. Yeah, he's a pretty respected uh, theater actor, I believe. Yeah, uh, Tim Guinea or Goonie or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> He was an Iron Man. <laughs> he played some soldier for a bit. <laughs> what does he play in this movie? <laughs> he plays Father Adam. Oh, okay. He plays some soldier. Father Adam. Or something. Father, he's like, it was like Sergeant Max. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that really big character from Iron Man. Um, and that. Uh, I think he has second billing. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was like Robert Downey Jr. and Gooling, Goon, Goose, Goony, whatever his name is. <laughs> it said that on the poster. <laughs> Tim Gooley's too. <laughs> uh, just him coming up a toilet. So he plays Father Adam, uh, the the priest who gets boners if you beat him up. <laughs> <laughs> or does he? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we have Mark Boone Jr., who's not in the movie very long. No, but... Uh, known for a lot of stuff. Went, went on to become a very notable character actor. Uh, don't you like falafel? <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. He's he's Detective Flash and Batman Begins. Yeah, and he's he's, uh, he's in Sons of Anarchy as Bobby Memento, uh, Thirty Days of Night. Yeah, yeah, and another great western, in my opinion, The Quick and the Dead. Quick and Dead is great. Actually, yeah. uh, there's a connection. Quick and Dead. Uh, I'll, I'll 
have it where we talk more about the background of this movie. Yeah. Um, he plays Caitlin or Catelyn. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. He's he's a great character actor. It's good to see him, and uh, he's pretty young in this also. But and uh, the last one I wrote down because I lost interest <laughs> going through these people. I'm like, okay, they haven't really done anything. Um, Carrie Hiro, uh, Hiroyuki uh, Tagawa, who was Shang Tsung yeah, was in Shang Mortal Tsung. Kombat. Yeah, and he was also uh, the grandpa or the uncle in Johnny Tsunami. Yeah, and <laughs> I I probably shouldn't have written these guys down because they're in the movie for like six minutes, but but he plays a character named David Deo. Yeah, that they all get, um, spoilers, get killed. Very quickly. <laughs> Pretty quickly. Um, but I mean, really, it's not a spoiler because it happens pretty early in the film, and that's when the movie takes a nosedive. <laughs> yeah. Because okay, so this is based off a book. Oh, really quick, did we say like just in case anyone's not familiar with Greg Nicotero, he does Creep Show. He does Creep Show on uh, Walking, uh, Walking Dead. Dead. Yeah, and he's also uh, protege of Tom Savini. He's a very, very famous uh, special effects makeup artist. Yeah. Um. um worked on has done every tarantino film he is tarantino's go-to guy done mm-hmm. a lot of great horror films uh but yeah he, he very talented guy oh he's amazing um and the only other upside of this movie is uh john carpenter did the music and uh you can definitely tell and it's cool to see john carpenter do kind of a western album yeah absolutely uh well he's such a western fan and i guess that's probably where we'll um start is that john carpenter <coughs> has always wanted to make a Western, but never has. This is the closest thing he's made to a Western. And I think that one of his reasonings was probably budgetary, since there's a lot of low-budget stuff. And having to get everything for a Western and get it greenlit by a studio is probably a whole ordeal. It's not like back in the day, whenever Westerns were just like you made them for really cheap and everybody had the sets and everything. You probably have to uh, – it's it's probably hard to make a Western as the years went by. Um, also, I, I, I couldn't find this in my research – um, but I remember one time, I can't remember where I read it, him saying that he didn't want to work with horses. I don't know if he's afraid of them or, or he just said they're difficult to work with or, or what. But apparently he just didn't want to work with horses. Um, but in a lot of his movies, there's a lot of Western things going on. I mean, all the way to Escape from New York. Not only is Kurt Russell doing a Clint Eastwood impression, but Lee Van Cleef is in that and their relationship is kind of like the Sergio Leone. This could have been so different if we had Kurt Russell. <laughs> uh, I'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things I'll get to. Um, is that, uh, uh, you know, Kurt Russell and Lee Van Cleef in Escape from New York kind of have the Clint Eastwood and Lee Van Cleef relationship in the Sergio Leone films, uh, Sergio Leone spaghetti westerns. He has little western references in a lot of his other films, a little nods, um, even in things like They Live and, and Big Trouble Little China. He's very influenced by the Western genre. This was his, why he decided to do this movie was because he got the offer or he, the script came across his desk and he's like, wow, this could be a Western because it reminded him uh, of a Howard Hawks film, which he actually remade a Howard Hawks movie because Howard Hawks directed the original thing. Uh, yeah. The thing. And Howard Hawks is this amazing genre director. If you don't know him, look him up. He's worked all kinds of genres, and then he was a very influential filmmaker and a lot of filmmakers we respect today. And he made a lot of really good Westerns as well. And John Carpenter loves Howard Hawks. So uh, originally, let's go a little background. Yeah. John, John I, Carpenter. I know you told me you had some background. Yes. I've been interested to see why he would do this. So John Carpenter wasn't the first director that was approached for this film. 
Um, Not or, surprising. <laughs> originally, these first two make more sense to me because I feel like these ones would actually all three of these directors would make more sense. And I said the quick and the dead. You mentioned that earlier. Sam Raimi was one of the people that was approached for it. Uh, Peter Jackson and Ron Underwood, who people may know as the director of Tremors and City Slickers. All those are very energetic directors, especially Sam Raimi. I think with this material, Sam Raimi had it. It'd be with the concept, it'd be very energetic. He knows how to shoot action scenes better than John Carpenter. John Carpenter isn't very good at shooting action Probably scenes. Probably wouldn't have had James Wood in it. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> um, uh, it would have been a completely different movie. Um, but the person that was actually very first attached that was going to direct it was Russell Malecki. Uh, Let's <laughs> fuck his last name up. McKayhe, um, who directed a great Ozploitation film called Razorback. Uh, really good Aussie exploitation film. Uh, so he was first attached to do it. Dolph Lundgren was supposed to play Jack Crow. Oh man, that would have been so good. Yeah. Um, that would have been so good. And who was rumored to also be approached allegedly for the role of Malik. Valak? Is it Valak, Valak or Jan Valak. Yeah, Valak. Uh, the main vampire was Willem Dafoe. Oh man, why? Why couldn't this mo- this movie could have been so good? Yeah, uh, but Russell Mulcahy, um got into an argument with the studio. There was a whole bunch of different things that happened. So him and Dolph Lundgren left the project, and they went on to make a movie called Silent Trigger, which actually borrowed from one of the original scripts for this film. But it's not it's not a western or a vampire film it's actually like a stupid action film but okay. apparently there's some like things in it that they took with them um this movie one script was supposed to take place in the vatican with a vampirized pope oh my god <laughs> and another script of this was a world full of vampires where the hunters are actually more like a police force um but they didn't use either of those of course so the next person they approach after uh, after after Russell <laughs> left actually I have a reference to that yeah because that would have been um, actually it's with this movie with something that Carpenter said I actually have this down in my notes a Danzig reference it's funny you say that but uh, Carpenter was the next person that was approached and he was actually going to retire from directing after making Escape from L.A. because he found making films wasn't fun anymore which you can kind of see in the '90s when the '90s hit um, with the exception of like in the Mouth of Madness. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, he, you can see that he was becoming very wary, if not already completely done with the studio system. He didn't want to work with them anymore. He didn't like everything that was happening. He was always getting pushed back from the studio. They were always fucking with his movies. It was always hard for him to get budgeting. Um, so he was about to retire from directing until he got this script that was written by uh, Dan Jacoby. And another script written by Dan Mazur. And they gave him both scripts, and he read through both of them, and it sparked something in him, and it reminded him of, reminded him of a Howard Hawks film. And he said, oh, this is basically a Western. This is like a group of hired killers that are sent to hunt down a guy, but the guy's a vampire, and the killer's a vampire hunters. So it's like the Wild Bunch or something. So he's like, I'm going to do this. Okay, cool. And he's like, oh, well, I don't want vampires that are all brooding and sad and all this shit. I want vampires like animalistic and like creatures. 
which kind of reminded me of Glenn Danzig. Whenever uh, we haven't reviewed it yet, we—I don't even know if it's—I need to look up if yeah, it's I don't streaming think it's, yet. Yeah. But uh, Glenn Danzig, <laughs> we're going to do an episode on this later. Uh, has oh, yeah. started directing over the last few years, and if you haven't seen his first movie, Veronica. Uh, you should watch it because it is a piece of shit, but it is entertaining, especially if you know anything about Glenn Danzig, because it's oh, yeah. the most unsurprising thing ever. But he's made a new spaghetti western vampire film called Death Rider in the House of Vampires. And whenever they ask Danzig about the movie, he's like, oh, yeah, well, it's a western with vampires, but in my movie, uh, everybody is a uh, vampire, so you have to wait to see the fucking monster. <laughs> Because, of course, Glenn Danzig would say something stupid like that. Um, which kind of reminds me of John Carpenter's like, yeah, I don't want them all, like, brooding and shit. <laughs> I, want them, I want them to be fucking, like, killers and interesting. Which, actually, this movie doesn't have a fucking interesting vampire to its name. Not at all. <laughs> um, Some of the most boring-ass vampires I've ever seen. Yes. Uh, so, people, you want to hear the people that were considered for the James Woods? <laughs> the James Woods Jack role? Crow. Uh, before James Woods got hired? All these would have been better, and some of them are very, very weird. Ready? Let's hear it. Clint Eastwood. Ooh, that would have been good. Kurt Russell. Bill Paxton. Oh, man, I would have loved Bill Paxton <laughs> and Jack Crow. Yeah, that would been pretty cool. Uh, El Pacino. If he just played himself as Severin, but as Jack Crow. Oh, Bill Paxton? Yeah, yeah. yeah. El Pacino. Um, and here's the last two that are very weird. Joe Pesci. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's a no. And this one, uh, the studio immediately vetoed because they're like, he doesn't have star power. Like, he doesn't have uh, 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 drawing a crowd power. He can't. He's not, he's not a draw. It's uh, Arlie Ermey. Um, <laughs> who? <laughs> Arlie Ermey. Uh, you know him from, people know him best from Full Metal Jacket. Oh, okay. Yeah, or uh, a movie that we rep for some reason we like, <laughs> fucking Saving Silverman. Yeah, why uh, do we like that movie? <laughs> why do we? Because there's no diamond references. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, yeah, and I told you Ellie dropped out. But anyways, uh, why why John Carver went James Woods is he wants somebody that's menacing and crazy enough to where you believe this guy is so crazy that you would actually believe vampires would be afraid of him. <laughs> yeah. And he let James Woods improvise. A lot, apparently. Really bad call. Which uh, I think shows. Um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, F-bombs thrown uh, in and uh, a lot of things about other people's penises. And a lot of homophobia. Uh-huh. Uh, so, let's get down. What is Vampires? Vampires is based off a book written by John Stakely called Vampires, uh, where the S is a dollar sign. And I haven't read the book but from what I understand, it is a book that is about a vampire hunting squad that is cor- uh, ran by corporation to go out and hunt vampires. And then the, the script kind of took took off from that. Um, whenever – I was about to say Glenn Danzig, Jesus Christ. When John Carpenter <laughs> got – when John Carpenter got both scripts from Dan Jacoby and Dan Mazur, he read over both of them. He took elements of life from both of them and rewrote the film with uh, Michael DeLuca who wrote in the mouth of madness. And he's also, he's mainly known as a producer. He produced a lot of films, but he's also a John Carpenter relatively frequent collaborator. Um, so they rewrote this whole movie. And, uh, do you want to say what the plot of vampires is? Or you want me to, you go ahead. <laughs> <Like> I, <laughs> okay. So I just keep 
I'm having PTSD about having to watch this. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it again. <laughs> um, so vampires. Our star is James Woods, who plays Jack Crow, as you mentioned multiple times already. Uh, Jack Crow is the leader of a vampire hunting squad. By the way, let's just spoil the shit out of this movie, because I really hope people don't sit down and watch it. Uh, yes, this movie is not very good. If you've never seen it, just watch it for your listen to the rest of it if you're worried about spoilers. But you'll probably spoil a lot of it. Um, <laughs> so Jack Crow leads a team of vampire hunters. They hunt down nests for and vampires, uh, for the Catholic Church, yeah, for the Vatican and for the Catholic Church. Um, Jack Crow is apparently this, um, <laughs> I guess, bred to be the ultimate vampire killer, a vampire hunter, raised by the church, raised by the church. Uh, so he's like Blade, but shitty. <laughs> yeah, and homophobic and church. Yes, um, and nothing says badass more than James Woods. <laughs> Uh, he is not an action hero. He's not cool in this. But anyways, uh, we'll get to that more, I'm sure. He, him and his team, they go, they hunt down vampires. Um, they work as a unit. They go in with all kinds of cool weapon weaponry. In this universe, garlic doesn't work. Holy water doesn't work. And Crucifixes don't work. Yeah, you have to stab them in the heart. You have to stake them, and you have to drag them in the sunlight. Yeah, because staking them by itself doesn't kill yeah, them. Yeah, they'll, they'll get back up eventually, apparently. Um, and how they do that is they have a truck out front. Oh, they also have a priest with them that, that blesses them. So I guess yeah. it, blessing does work in a way. I don't fucking know. So was, Anthony, no, he's just doing their last rites, I think. Okay. Like, yeah. And, and, and he blesses them before they go. Not their last go. rites because he's not asking them. What they and he has to bless them before fire, they go in. He also prays over them before they go oh, into does he? hunt. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, okay. But they had to take a Catholic priest with them. I was forcing my dogs to go outside during this <laughs> movie. <laughs> Please piss. Please go to the bathroom. But, uh, yeah. But, uh, so, they uh, they have a truck with them. They, have a, they, they show up in a couple trucks, and one of the trucks is a winch. It's a winch on the back where they stake the vampire. And like we said earlier, Montoya hits a button and pulls a... It pulls the vampire out of the middle of the sunlight. His they only the job daytime. in the team. Yes, that's his only thing, but he's second in charge for some reason. Um, and they, at the beginning of the movie, they find a nest. They clear out the house. They can't find the master. That worries Jack Crow a lot. Yeah, they, and also the things that aren't considered master vampires are called goons. Yes, yes. Um, so you have to find the master vampire. If you kill the master vampire, then all the vampires, they change um die or get turned i don't know because apparently later on the movies that it doesn't even fucking matter in the same fucking movie yes um so after clearing this out they're partying at a huge hotel room (laughs) in this small desert town where um a a bunch of hookers (laughs) where a police officer provided uh bought a liquor store (laughs) a booze for this team and prostitutes, which apparently all this desert town has, is an abundance of hookers. Because <laughs> there are like 40 of them in this room. Yeah, and um, uh, paid for by the Catholic Church's dime. Yes, it was all in the Catholic Church's dime, which they are not... Uh, well, I mean, you know, Jesus was born of a whore. <laughs> no, no, he wasn't <laughs> born of a whore. He just hung out with whores a lot. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, she, I mean, Virgin Mary may have been a whore. <laughs> Maybe she wasn't that much of a virgin. I don't know. But um, yes, uh, uh that the, the church provides whores for this vampire team. Whenever all of a sudden the master vampire does show up, his name is Malik. 
Jan Valak. Valak. I always keep a fucking his name up. Yeah. Who gives a shit? Well, because he doesn't matter. <laughs> he does not matter. He's the... Oh, my God. We'll get into him. Um, Valak shows up. He um, changes one of the prostitutes that we mentioned earlier, uh, uh, Katrina, played by Cheryl Lee, who goes to another room waiting for Jack because, I mean, Jack is just irresistible. Look at him. He's James Wood. Look how, look how high his jeans are. His jeans are so high. They're up to his belly button. He, he, he's a middle-aged man. He just had his blue pill. He chased it with booze. He's ready to go. <laughs> he's ready to go. But when the knock on the door happens, it's actually Valak. And he changes. He bites her. And then he goes to the next room where everybody's partying. And uh, proceeds to kill the whole vampire team. Easily. And all the prostitutes. Uh, the only people that survive is, of course, Jack Crow Montoya. And it is... And Katrina. Well, Katrina's in the next room. But she already got changed. Yeah. But he goes to the next room, kills everybody. The only two people in that room that survived are, are Jack Crow and Montoya. And now it's a revenge mission uh, where Jack Crow has to hunt down this vampire. And they're on a time frame because you have two days until you change into a vampire. But whenever you... I thought it was five days. Uh, it changes. Because he says they have 48 hours. But later on, yeah, when uh, Daniel Baldwin gets bitten later on, Montoya does. And he says he has five days to change. I don't fucking know. It doesn't fucking matter. Um, they have a they have a window time, uh, and 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 whenever you get bitten by the master vampire, you have a, a psychic link where you can see through his eyes. So they have to use Katrina as bait, and to kind of use her as a compass to find uh, Valak and stop him. Yep. But Valak <laughs> is after a MacGuffin. Valak is after something called uh, very originally. The Black Cross, which is literally the Bazaris Black Cross or something like that. Yeah, it has some other name. The Brazier Black Cross. Yes, it has <laughs> plays Braziers. Um, it has, uh, it's literally just a Black Cross because Valak is the original vampire. He's, yes. He's, um, he is from the 1300s. <laughs> from the 1300s, he was a, a priest. And what the fuck happens? It, he's a vampire from way of a botched exorcism. Yeah, he he gets. It, I'm foggy on the details. I was hoping you would know. It's something like he's he's getting an exorcism because he went against the church and re- led a movement against the church, and it was like they were doing the exorcism, but it repossessed his body <laughs> and turned. <laughs> Which created the first <laughs> vampire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I went down the wrong pipe. <clears throat> yeah, it's um, yeah, it, it was, uh, so they try to exercise them. Um, uh, it, it's botched. They used the black cross is what was used during it. I guess I don't. So I don't know. if the vampires get it back and finish it, they can walk during the day. Which will make him unstoppable because the only thing that can stop him is is the sun. <laughs> I feel oh. almost queasy talking about him. Um, <laughs> so um, we talked about <laughs> let's talk about the good things in this movie. The music, Greg the, Nicotero. The it's music, over. Greg <laughs> Nicotero. Um, that the, tr- the I, I like the idea of of a team of vampires being sanctioned out by either a corporation or the church, which is a corporation, <laughs> uh, organized religion. I mean, come on, um, 
this is very uh, this is very much John Carpenter because John Carpenter is very if you look at a lot of his movies or what he talks about in interviews and stuff he's he's very anti-establishment um, he is very anti-capitalist he is very anti-church he is very anti-studio system he is very anti uh, I'm with you John government <laughs> um, look at you know any of his movies like Escape from New York Escape from LA they live this any of it he is very anti-establishment and this this is very much in his in his wheelhouse it's just that it, it is so sadly put together <laughs> it's so badly put together um in this movie everybody is a fucking prick everyone everybody everyone is a jackass everybody is a complete fucking piece of shit asshole um he writes every character like the biggest shitbag unlikable fucking asshole Besides maybe Father Adam. Except for Father Adam, who's who's a pussy because he's not, according to this movie. <laughs> yeah. According to this movie, he's a big old vagina because he's not a complete unlikable piece of fucking shit. <laughs> so like, he hey, is, are you a decent he's person? He's a big old fucking you wuss. wuss because of it. Yes. You wuss. Um, Good job being a decent person. <laughs> yeah. He is the biggest piece of fucking shit. Wuss. Wimpy prick asshole because he's not a raging hard-on and that's what this movie is this movie is pumped full of so much testosterone that it is like this movie took 20 blue pills yeah (laughs) and is bleeding from his fucking urethra (laughs) like i mean this is a walking hard-on of a film this is a 13 year old wet dream which is a a topic (laughs) that seems to come up a lot and there's a lot of james talk in this yes uh james woods talks about cocks a lot in this film jack crow is such a badass motherfucker (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) that if you are anything less than a heterosexual male then you are, are a pussy. <laughs> it is so, it's so bad. <laughs> Which isn't a word or a term that I use in real life. <laughs> but this movie is what it refers to most things that aren't the coolest heterosexual thing ever as. <laughs> um, oh, boy. What, what, what? <laughs> Where do we go from here? <laughs> like I, well, uh, you talk about, some, talk, talk about some of the things that he says. Um, so, oh God, one thing that drives me insane, I cringe every time he says Padre. Yeah, get him, Padre. That I like, Padre. Because that's the cool thing in films that calls something that's like the father and see, the Padre. You got Padre. It's so cool and not cliche. Um, so James Woods, he visits the Cardinal after his whole team is killed. Because he has to, yeah, he has to regroup, find out what the next next thing to do is. And the Cardinal's like, oh, is this the man you saw? And it's like, oh, my sunglasses that I'm wearing inside. I'm going to take those off to look at this picture. Because it's a saint card of Valak. Mm. Like an old, like, uh, church photo. That's 600 years old. But but somehow. Looks great. (laughs) Fantastic portrait that looks like a photo. Yeah. Um, Looks like they edited his head onto yeah. another photo. And he does the classic glasses ripoff, of sunglass course. ripoff. Because he's so cool. And uh, Father Adam is sitting beside the Cardinal and is talking about what the church knows about this picture, mm-hmm. uh, which is ends up being a lot more 
after uh, James Woods is uh, uh, told to bring Father Adam along with him by the Cardinal and to regroup a new team. Yes. Which absolutely makes no sense when you get to the ending of this movie. No. Um, so he is like, I don't have time to make a new team. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta go get him now. And so he doesn't make a new team, but he does bring Father Adam along because Father Adam just tails along with him. Because the church says, hey, you have to have a priest with you. And so it's like, so now it's a good cop, bad cop situation where you have the rogue, like, I'm I'm the renegade cop that doesn't play by the rules. But it's more like maniac cop and regular cop. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. So you have to have like the. The cop that doesn't play by the rules. He's a loose cannon. Then you have to have the straight-laced cop that goes with him, right? Also, the Cardinal does straight up say, you must play by the rule. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. So, he doesn't. <laughs> and uh, literally 10 seconds after getting into the van uh, with Father Adam, he assumes that Father Adam in the church have set him and his team up, mm-hmm. uh, throws him out of the van and beats the ever loving shit out of him. Yeah. As one does, as one does. And then puts a gun to his face is like, who set us up? <laughs> who set us up? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. You'll just have to shoot me. And he's like, okay, I guess he doesn't know. They get back in the van and then James would, decides to ask him if he got a boner while he was beating him up. Hey, Padre, you get a woody when I was kicking your ass back there? You know, you get some mahogany or ebony happening in there? Like, Jesus Christ, it is bad. Literally, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> he beat up a priest. <laughs> so later on, they get back to the hotel room where Anthony has been extremely inappropriate with Katrina. Yes. So um, so they decided, yeah. like we mentioned earlier, they decided to take Katrina with them because they need her as the compass to find out where Valak is going. So they split ups. So they split ups. <laughs> they, they split, split ups. Up, they banana so, splits. <laughs> yeah, so that Jack can go and report in with the church. Tony has to go with, take Katrina to a safe place and you know, make sure nothing happens to her. She doesn't run off. Continue. Uh, <laughs> where were we? Oh yeah. So, so she wakes up completely nude with duct tape over her mouth mm-hmm. and he gets over there and just kind of rubs her back. And well, she's like, stripped naked. She's naked. He and stripped like, her Why? naked. Why? And he's like, Oh, I, I got you cleaned. And it's like, what fucking sane person does that? Unless you're a fucking rapist. She's stripped naked, face down, tied to a bed. (laughs) And he's like, I'm sorry, honey, but we're going to have to use you as bait. And then he explains to her that, you know, she has this link with the vampire and they have to use her as bait. And he instantly says, here's your clothes. You can get dressed. Leave the door open. And you know, he's which which in, makes sense. I mean, yeah, because he doesn't want her. He doesn't want her to like run out the window or something. Which happens? Which in, happens? Because he falls because asleep immediately. immediately. <laughs> he immediately falls asleep in like ten seconds of sitting on a chair, falls asleep, and she goes to jump off the building because she doesn't want to live anymore because of that. Mm-hmm. 
He gets her. He finds her outside, about to jump, grabs her, um, busts through the window, gets a cut from the the window. window The whole window busts through. He gets cut on the arm. She sees the blood and starts biting his arm. And he's like, "You bitch! You you're fucking crazy! You bit me!" And it's like. She got bit by a vampire that you know exists. Yeah. Yeah, she bit you. Yeah. Like, he's what acting What you think like, happen? <laughs> yeah. It's like, what do you think would happen? Yeah. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I literally have in my notes written, Daniel Baldwin is a rapey boy. <laughs> yeah. He is <laughs> he's a very fucking inappropriate boy. as fuck. Yes. Um, but. He knocks her out twice. Yes. He knocks the fucking, her fucking block off two different times. Um, but it doesn't matter because they're in love. They fall in love. How? How Why? How? Because she she doesn't even know what the fuck is going on. She, in most no, of the movie. she's like pretty much drugged up the entire movie by vampirism. He's basically date raping her this whole movie. Yeah, and I mean, there far as we know, there is no intercourse. But he is, he's like. Hey, babe. And he rubs her face all the time now. And it is just fucking creepy. I do not get why they are thinking like... She never once tries to kiss him, tries to do anything like that. He just kind of forces himself on her. He, uh... There's a part near the end whenever... It doesn't even make sense with the ending. Because there's a part whenever she shouldn't be a vampire anymore, but she's still a vampire... And she still seems like she's dazed, and he kisses her, and the look of how he kisses her, and look on her face, and all that stuff. It, it's like if you got a chick, or a chick, like you got a woman very, very drunk, or whatever, right? But you are more sober than her, and then you forcefully kiss her. It is a complete date rape moment. In every like aspect. she doesn't even know where she is. No, and it looks like she doesn't know where she is. And it's the creepiest fucking thing ever. Um, it is inappropriate. <laughs> it is fucked up. This is supposed to be they're trying to make Daniel Baldwin as the movie goes along the likable character. <laughs> he does not. But John Carpenter's script is so poorly written. Like, listen, I know J- D- Dan uh, Don Jacoby is 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 the is the credited writer but this is clearly john carpenter's rewrites is that john carpenter i guess does understand women i i don't know like it, it, it is such a sexist and homophobic film that like a lot of movies which are, doesn't reflect john carpenter not very well um no like i couldn't you can't even tell you like when you're like this is john carpenter yeah like, how yeah the, the movie is, I mean, you get some directing wise. It, it, and it's like, even in the fog and stuff, there was a good relationship build up between Tom Atkins and Jamie Lee Curtis. For the most part. I mean, they're both, you know, they're both single people. They, 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 they have a relation and all this I mean, stuff is built up. Even on. though Halloween 3 has a definite age gap in the relationship. Yeah, but he didn't write that film, he just produced it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Never mind. Um, I think I think he just produced that film. I, I thought he, he directed it. No, I don't. I don't, I don't think he wrote Halloween three. Um, who directed Halloween three? Who directed Halloween three? Yeah, but not John Carp. Oh, John Carpenter definitely didn't direct Halloween three. Really? Oh no. man, I was way off. I always thought he directed it. Oh no no no, he just he just uh, he just produced it. Wow, I'm an idiot. Okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, my ignorance is showing. Yeah, but um, 
Yeah, I mean, you look at things like something like Halloween or or uh, or the fog or something like that. I mean, he's usually pretty respectful about his women characters. Honestly, for the most I feel part. like James Woods and Daniel Baldwin just got together and they're like, "Hey, you know, it'd be great if we ad libbed being abusive to women <laughs> and homophobic." It's like, what? Well, let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room, James Woods. Yes. <laughs> so, as an actor, I like James Woods. Okay. Uh, you mentioned earlier Videodrome. I've said in previous episodes, I'm a huge Cronenberg fan. And Videodrome is one of his best. Yeah. It's a great film. Yeah. Um, James Woods is a particular, he can play a particular type very, very well. And is not the action hero type. No. He, he actually played, I can't remember the name of the movie, but when I worked at the rehab, we used to watch a movie about the creator of AA. Mm-hmm. And he played in a movie like that. And it's actually not a bad made movie. Yeah, right. Like, you know, not. You know. I mean, at this time, James Woods was still a get. Like, in the 90s, James Woods was a get. Whenever he voiced Hades and Hercules. Oh, yeah. He was a get. Like, he was a well-sought-after actor. And and the thing that James Woods is really good at is playing characters either swarmy or a fast talker or something. You know, he's he's not the action hero type. You know, he's kind of like the talking guy. Like he's yeah, he's a talker. You know, he's kind. Of, he could play like a sleaze bag or like whatever. But well, he definitely plays a sleaze bag. Yeah, but he's not really like the action. He's not really. He is not the action hero kind. James Woods isn't the cool guy kind of action hero. And, and he and, really tries to make himself in this one. And John Carpenter said he didn't want the action hero stereotype, so it's understandable. I get it. So the Dolph Lundgren route wasn't the route he was gonna go. But what's up with the elephant in the room is that I, I don't really like talking politics on the podcast because you had to hear politics all the time. So we aren't going to delve into this too much or dwell on it too much is that James Woods um, is a big fucking asshole. And you just read his Twitter to find out what we mean. Um, he oh, is yeah. Very a lot much, of sexual allegations. <laughs> a lot of sexual allegations. He racist is allegations. a lot of racist allegations. He is um, – Hyper conservative. Um, he has very, very different political beliefs than me or Blaze. <laughs> um, the complete opposite beliefs of us. And um, he is very, very vocal about his opinions, which have ruined his relationships with not only Hollywood, but his own agents. Yeah, his, his agent drops. Yes, he is apparently a, a very bad person <laughs> um, and very hard to get along with. And it kind of shows in this movie where I actually just feel that James Woods is just his self. <laughs> yeah, movie. just, so just a, a homophobic piece of shit. <laughs> he, uh, oh my god, who talks about dicks a lot? And that, isn't that kind of like the funny thing about it? Is yeah, that it's very. Uh... <laughs> it's always the ironic thing about like guys that are like super like, oh no, man, that that shit's gay. That shit's gay. Or like, I'm the super like super heterosexual like toxic kind of guys. Had to be like I, I'm I'm in the belief system that nobody is 100% heterosexual, right? Mm-hmm. There's nobody like everybody. It's at least a little gay, right? And it's always funny to be like the most like bro do like heterosexual kind of guy that like works all the time. Clearly has an eye for the male physique, right? <laughs> Clearly, specifically one <laughs> one thing, and that's yes. the phallus. Yes. Yes. Like, and, and, and I think this kind of goes to show that kind of stereotype more than anything. <laughs> this guy just talk about dicks all the time. But he's like, no, nah, man, I'm not gay, bro. <laughs> it's like, are you? 
<laughs> you sure? Like, not even a little bit. <laughs> um, James Woods as Jack Crow. Uh, it doesn't work. It doesn't work as this. No, it doesn't. He's not. too old, first of all. He's too old in the role. I, I don't know how old he was. He has to be at least in his. 60s? No, he has to be <laughs> at least in his late 40s in, in this film. Early 50s, maybe. Yeah. Uh, he's too old. He looks old. <laughs> um, he's not cool. His, his jeans are too high. He, he wears his leather jacket, his sunglasses, and he smokes his cigars, walks away from an explosion at one point. Twice. <laughs> Twice, yeah. Speaking of which, there's a point I wanted to make up. Yeah. So, at the hotel where Jan Valak killed everyone. Yeah. He goes in, and he torches and blows up the building. Like, yeah. he goes into the lobby and pours gasoline. Like, nobody's working there. He, Nobody else has stayed at the yeah, hotel. He blows up a hotel. He blows up a, 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 a motel. Yeah, he's a domestic terrorist. Yeah, and it's like, but but nobody's stopping him. He's just going room to room pouring gasoline. Yes. And in the lobby, it's like, does nobody work there? Does no. nobody else stay there? Did they find an abandoned motel? Maybe they're all vampires. I don't <laughs> Vampire motel. Know. I don't fucking know, man. Um, <laughs> this movie is such a face rubber. It's such a face It's rubber. a lot. Um, he, um, <laughs> there's a point I was going to bring up. Oh, I have this run down. When did we first meet the team? Can we talk about how their, how their weapons look like plastic toys? <laughs> they sure do. They <laughs> so sure the, do. So he has this big crossbow. And they have like these like it big, looks like, super futuristic. Yeah, they have these big like pike stakes and stuff. Also, how did he keep hooking it up to the zip line? Did he run outside yeah. every time he shot somebody? Yeah, I don't know how because he just don't shot people with the crossbow that was somehow attached to the single zip line. Yeah, which is fucking Anthony's only fucking job is one vampire at a time. Number two, they're doing it during the fucking day when they go hit these ass. Just burn the fucking building down. Yeah, just burn just down. Just burn the fucking building down. They don't have any shelter down. then. Because then it's gone. Yeah. You don't have to go in there and one by one zip line them out of the fucking <laughs> building. It's so fucking stupid. <laughs> it's fucking stupid. Because you don't, you, don't uh, you don't see the crossbow attached to the zip line. Like you don't see it. He'll be running around I'm with it. Then, then all of a sudden, when he shoots somebody, then it's attached to the thing out to, to the truck outside. Um, it looks they, their weapons look like they were made by Nerf. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it's that or nothing. <laughs> yeah, Nerf, Nerf or nothing, man. Um, but uh, they, <laughs> the vampires in general. Have no personality. If I wasn't an avid VHS collector, I would have burned that. I'm, I'm surprised. Night. So you've owned this VHS for a while. You've never. This is your first time watching this film. Yeah. No, I've avoided it for so long because I'm like, I tried it. Like honestly, it's like I love John Carpenter so much that I don't like sullying his name in my mind. Right. So uh, my buddy Kale gave, found it at Goodwill and gave it to me. I wonder why it was why it was at Goodwill. Yeah. And. Uh, I was like, oh my god, you know, and I'm, I love collecting VHS tapes, mainly horror movies. Uh -huh. Um, but I just never wanted to watch vampires. Right. I never did. I'm not like a huge vampire movie fan. Mm -hmm. Um, even though we've talked about a lot of vampire movies in the show, we do, so far. and <laughs> it, it's not. I like vampire. We're gonna movies, be delving into other genres, guys. But it's just some reason it always starts happening like I'm, this. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I I don't know what it is, man. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but I finally sat down and watched it against my better judgment. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, that is an hour and 48 minutes of my life that will never come back. There's a fun little cameo. I will say this, and then we'll go to the end of the movie, and we'll <laughs> wrap all this up. Is um, Yeah, we're actually already at an hour and nine minutes. Wow, this is going to be a like the longest guys, episode. It's going to be a long episode, because we still have quite a bit to talk about. Yeah, we do. Um, but, you know, we want to give you a nice stuffed episode for your for your travels and everything. For your Thanksgiving, we're giving you a stuffing. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, there's a part where they steal a car. Yes, there is. Uh, at gunpoint at a gas station, the driver of the car is Frank Darabont. A nice little director cameo. Uh, for those who don't know, Frank Darabont was the director of Shawshank Redemption. Oh, wow. Green Mile and The Mist. Wow, what he, a terrible movie to cameo in. He was in. also the showrunner of the first season of The Walking Dead, connected back in Greg Nicotero. He also was a writer of the remake of The Blob and... Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. He's the co-writer of both of those. Wow, that guy's uh, great. So Frank Darabont's amazing. Yeah, he's he's he's, he's great. Um, but he's he's the guy that gets the car stolen from him, so that's fine. Uh, Best part of the movie, I guess. Yeah. So the hey ending. There, cowboy. Yes. So so the ending of it is uh, Valak finally shows up. They they kidnap Jack Crow. Uh, because they need crusader. Blood. They need a crusader blood to do the ritual. They they need they need his blood and to burn him at the stake so they can finish the exorcism with the black cross. So can I say the next part? So the Vela can walk in the sun sunlight. No. Oh yeah, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> and who else shows up? But of course, the fucking two minute scene cardinal. Yes. Comes in and he's like. I bet you didn't expect to see me here. I made a deal for everlasting life. And it's like, why the fuck would you send him out to go make a team? Like, there was no reason why. There's, no. Dude, so fucking... You should have been like, yeah, go get him. Yeah. Go get him, buddy. Like, yeah, why Why wouldn't you want more people? <laughs> like, you would want just Jack Crow. Let me well. make it harder on him. Especially, especially if he's the ultimate vampire killer. But then what, what happens is a low... <laughs> It is a low-energy action scene because... So, Jack Crow is um, attached to the cross. Uh, Daniel Baldwin gets bit again. Uh, In Shirley, the neck by Katrina. Yeah, Shirley runs back to where all the vampires are where uh, Jack Crow is about to get crucified. Uh, Daniel Baldwin shows up with the truck, uh, with the winch, pulls the cross with Jack Crow still attached, uh, Father Adam jumps on top of the weird. Uh, oh, th- they're in a prison. Yeah. Wow, a, we totally missed that part. So they went to search a prison because that's where all the vampires. Yeah, because it's New dark Mexico and it's a nice or? nest. Yeah, somewhere. I yeah, mean, it was filmed in Nevada. But, yeah. Um, mainly. Um, so Padre yeah. <laughs> gets on top of the fucking um, truck. No, he gets on top of the oh the top of the prison, prison and he yeah. shoots the cardinal. He's like, he's like, Attaboy, <laughs> Padre. Shoots him right in the back. Attaboy, Padre. <laughs> and he's like, ha, Valak, now you don't have anyone to finish the exorcism because a guy who's from fucking mid, he's a medieval priest. Yeah. He doesn't know Latin. No. He doesn't know no. Latin. Maybe. Only the cardinal knows fucking Latin. Can, can, can That's you- so fucking <laughs> maybe he can't. Movie. Maybe he can't do it because he's like a demon now. I don't know. <laughs> I it is. Oh my god. Um. But yeah, the, the, he pulls the cross with Jack Crow still attached. 
drags him along, <laughs> which is super safe. He could have easily killed him. Um, and then we get the montage of uh, the sun comes up, uh, kills all the vampires. <laughs> As they slowly get in there. And Except then- for Velik, uh, who confronts Crow in a, a shed. Uh, it's something like a shed, a, a barn attached to the prison. Uh, which something. leads to a low-energy fistfight. <laughs> Very low energy. Until Jack Crow knocks down... He shoulder tackles a fucking Colin. support beam. Yeah, support beam. Uh, that lets the sun and, and just lights Velik on fire. Um, Velik is the most, maybe the most boring vampire in, in any... But he definitely is the most explosive. In any <laughs> he sure is. Because um, he literally explodes he like does. a bomb. That's pretty good. Um, which leads us to our last, uh, the last little bit of the movie, which you texted me about. Oh, man. I was texting you about the movie the whole time through. We sure were. <laughs> we were watching it pretty much at the same time. I, I was about 20 minutes ahead of you. Well, that's because I was forcing the dogs outside. I'm like, you're going to piss and you're going <laughs> to like it because I don't want to sit down and watch this. Oh, anymore. what, you want to go to the dog park? Sure, it's 10 o'clock at night. Let's go. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, but what, what's the end of this movie? <sighs> so the end <laughs> of this fucking movie is that now Daniel Baldwin, Anthony Montoya, has taken Katrina and saved her from the sun by putting her in the back of their van, jeep, armored car, piece of shit, stupid, dumb, I hate this movie car. (laughs) And he is talking to James Woods, and Father Alba even uh, goes to shoot uh, Anthony. uh, Not Father Alba, Father Adam. Goes to shoot uh, Anthony. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're having like a stare down and James Woods gets in between it and is like, no, no, don't do it. And he's like, and the father's like, what is the first rule you taught me? Even though that never happened. Uh, The first rule is that if your uh, teammate becomes a vampire, you take them out before they become a vampire. And it's like, you just killed the original vampire, which you said got rid of all the vampires. Why are they still turning into fucking vampires? So yeah. is he now the original master vampire? <laughs> like, what the fuck is this? Yes, yes. My fucking God. Because they, they already established, yeah, if you kill the master, so, then all the vampirism is cured from everybody that vampire changed. And, but apparently and not. then James Woods goes up to him and says, you saved me. You gave me about two days. So I'm going to give you two days. You go hit the border and you and your vampire prostitute (laughs) can have two days. But I want to tell you, I will hunt you and I will find you and I will kill you. And they're like, sad hug. And then they leave. And it's like, wow, you just made that way fucking harder on yourself. Because you know what's going to happen when they transition? They're going to go make more fucking vampires. You fucking idiot. You fucking moron. You're you're supposed to care about these two raging prick assholes that... uh, Who you don't give a fuck about. Terry goodbye. It's like, man, their friendship was so deep, but how hateful both of them were. It's like, oh, the homophobe is hugging the rapist. (laughs) Don't you feel bad for them? It's like, no, I want them both dead. (laughs) Father Adam is the only person that slightly deserves to live in this movie. (laughs) So 
after that, Father Adam and fucking Jack Crow go into the prison. He's like, you ready to get the rest of these vampires that aren't supposed to fucking exist anymore? (laughs) And Father Alba just thinks it would be funny to start saying words relating to boners. (laughs) One of the last lines of this fucking garbage pile dumpster fire of a fucking movie is the father... (laughs) Looking at James Wood and saying, Major Chubby. Major Chubby. Which is followed by James Wood calling back to when the father told him to not use bad language and saying, Language? Padre. Credits. What the ever-loving fuck. The last two lines is fucking chubby. Major chubby. <laughs> Major chubby. I just... <laughs> I... Major chubby. I don't know, man. <laughs> well, this movie is basically a major chubby. After so. finishing this movie, I'm like, podcast over. I quit. <laughs> like, I'm not doing this anymore. So this is our last episode. This is it. <laughs> no, we're never doing this again. This is it. And I am infamous for loving bad movies. Infamous sure for it. I fucking love shitty movies. Yeah, we watch a lot of bad movies. but um... because, But this is just bad. This is different. It's between. not funny bad. It's cringy fucking well, yeah. I don't want to hear James Wood spouting out the F word bad. There, there's a difference between a bad movie that has an incompetent charm. Because right? it's so funny, it's bad. It's a, yeah, well, there, there's it has good intentions. Yes. Right? There, there's a reason why things like Miami Connection or, or you know, The Room. Hard or, Ticket to Hawaii. Or Hard Ticket to Hawaii or any of the popular ones, Samurai Cop, is like, this is entertaining because. Get even. There's, there's good intentions about, like, I want to make a movie, but there's raging incompetence when you make it that makes it entertaining. Because you're like, I see what you were trying to do, but you didn't hit it. This movie is like, you're John Carpenter. You are one of the strongest voices in genre filmmaking. And you made this. You made this, John. <sighs> John, why? Uh, and, and the funny thing, this isn't his worst film. There are worse movies than this that we may talk about some like other Ward time. Ward 13 or something? The Ward is, I, I think the Ward is better than this. But I was going to say like Ghost of Mars. Ghost of yeah, Mars is worse than this. It's pretty bad. Um, I have that on tape too. <laughs> probably do an episode about it sometime but we still got a lot to talk about so we sure do let's move on uh to our next segment another entry into blaze's cabinet of video game curiosities so what are we pulling out the shelf today well <laughs> oh you missed in this western episode uh, I actually played the demo for an upcoming game uh, that should be coming out in the next few months called Blood West. And it is fun as hell. Hmm. Um, its developer and publisher are Hyper Strange. Uh, they're known for like Jupiter Hell and Raze, which are very popular games on Steam. This, far as I know, is only going to be on the PC. So uh, it is a first-person shooter. Um, 
and you play as a revenant desperado who was brought back by uh, this collaboration of lost souls to cleanse a, uh, a mining town of this eldritch horror in the undead that have been inhabiting it now. Um, so there's a lot of stealth elements to the game where you have to get around certain things. You can you run out of ammo super easy like a lot of horror games. Um, but you can find melee weapons. Uh, there's tons of different things like zombies and ghosts and vampires and different strange creatures that have wings and shoot at you <laughs> with yeah. with revolvers. It's very... <laughs> Just in case they weren't scary enough, they're, they're also packing. They also are packing. Um, it is easily uh, probably the best combination of a horror Western game since, you know, Red Dead Zombies, mm-hmm. I would say. Because uh, I really peg-holed myself in this because I was like, let's do a Western episode. And I've regretted it ever since. <laughs> like, it, uh, somebody modded Red Dead 2 to have a zombie game. Did you see that? No, I didn't see yeah. that. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very fun game. Uh, there are uh, character development elements in it with uh, apparently ways you answer questions and stuff like that can change the outcome of your character, whether he's evil or good. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, it, it's super fun. I showed you a little bit of the game before we started going into it. So uh, uh, it's not like packing on the graphics. But again, this is a demo. It's upcoming. It, it, it's probably not fully polished. And there's some areas you can't get to. But on the whole, like right off, it's a pretty large-looking game, yeah. um, like area-wise. And there's these burnt-down churches and saloons that you have to go in and uh, collect different things to... Uh, what am I trying to say? Um, I guess get new weapons. And uh, when you die, uh, you get certain curses put on you. <laughs> Just to make you it harder. Back. Just to make it harder on you. Yeah. So, and I died a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a bunch of curses on me. You and died you have at least to, like two or three times while I watch you play it. Yeah. And uh, you have to uh, collect gold or kill a certain amount of monsters to appease the evil totems of these Un, uh, these lost souls that have brought you back and they can take the curses off you to make the game a little easier on you. Um, so in this game, it is easy to die. Mm-hmm. And Okay. Well, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with it. But, oh, yeah. Uh, what, when does it come out? Be, uh, it should be coming out either next... I think it's the next four to six months... Okay. It should be fully done. All right, cool. So, um, wait, I have a game. Oh, uh, so welcome to Rocky's Cabin of Video Game Curiosities. Okay, yeah, <laughs> uh, Ghostbusters. Talk about Afterlife earlier. Instead of watching that piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you should play Ghostbusters the video game. What's Ghostbusters the video game? Well, back in 2009, uh, Terminal Reality developed a Ghostbusters game. Uh, it was published by Atari, and it is the Ghostbusters 3 that we never got. Uh, Ghostbusters 3, of course, was in development hell for a long time. Bill Murray didn't want to do it. A whole bunch of different stuff. Scripts were flying around. They never got greenlit and just went to development hell. So basically, Ghostbusters 3 
uh, Ghostbusters the video game is Ghostbusters 3. It takes place after Ghostbusters 2. As 3, 3 normally considered 2. Yeah, that's <laughs> but, true. But uh, it is canon with the first two films. Uh, not only is it canon, but the, all the cast, except Sigourney Weaver, Rick Moranis, return. Uh, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Hill Ramis, Ernie Hudson, and Annie Potts are all in the game. And you play a new recruit that gets hired to the Ghostbusters, uh, which is a smart thing because instead of you having to choose what Ghostbusters you want to play as, you just get to spend time with all the different characters. Uh, and you're thrown into this world where something is happening and a riff is happening and it brings in the mythos of Gozor, 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 Gozor. and Evo Shandor and all the different things and expands mythology. Not, not only is a sequel to the first two films, but the game was also written by Dan Aykroyd Hill Ramis, who wrote the first two films. So it's actually shepherded by them, and they dedicated the remaster of this game to Hero Ramis. But you definitely get an expansion on the mythology of the Ghostbusters world. Sure, you're going to places uh, that, that you've been to, so there's a little bit of retread. You go back to the hotel where you fought Slimer, you fight the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, you go back to the library, but it actually has elements from the scripts that weren't used for the Ghostbusters sequel, like... And for the original Ghostbusters that that had to be cut out, like the Ghostbusters going to the afterlife and two other dimensions that Dan Aykroyd wanted to put in the original films that budgetarily couldn't happen. Um, the game, I feel, kind of got – people really don't talk about it. I, I think kind of got overlooked, and it, it's actually a really, really fun game. It's kind of short. Um, you get to go through, like, the different levels and not only uh, through – you know your main objectives but you can find like little occult elements that give you background to what each haunted artifact means and it'll show up at the firehouse where you're hanging out at in between missions the little artifacts will be around so it's like you get to find little cool stuff and they're expanding the mythology of the world and you're also learning about different characters like librarian ghost you learn more about her backstory you learn more about the backstory of slimer and, and all these other things that have been introduced in the previous films and they're actually canon with the first two films since dan Aykroyd hero ramus did write this game as well um the combat is easy and fun and it makes you feel like a ghostbuster and also you get money for property damage which is very much in the ghostbusters vein since they're just schlubby exterminators that do a lot of property damage on accident and you can use that to buy upgrades to your weapons and getting new different things for your proton packs and uh it's just a really good game and for a long time it was hard to find it for a reasonable price because it was released on the playstation 3 and xbox 360 and uh, there were other ports made by another company but they did remaster it recently for the uh, PlayStation 4 and Xbox uh, Xbox One and all that uh, by, by Saber Interactive and published by Mad Dog Games. And as a remaster, it doesn't do too much to expand on anything. And the graphics don't look that different, but they did make it easier to get. I think on the PlayStation Store, it's like 15 bucks you can buy it for. It's pretty cheap. And they dedicated the remaster to Hero Ramis. So uh, it is really, really good. And I enjoyed it a lot. I, I think that if you're a Ghostbusters fan, you should definitely play it. It is a way better continuing of that universe than Afterlife is. So Rocky says, I have it. another game. Hunter the Reckoning. It was on GameCube. Oh, it's that. that's all? That's it. Oh, okay.
Well, I guess that leads us to our next segment with mythology, biology. Well, if you are done interrupting me, what story? I have another game. No. Oh. <laughs> what, what story uh, are we delving into? Or, or folk? We actually have a folktale, right? This isn't about a creature. This is actually about a, a story this week, right? Uh, yeah, based on actual historical events as well. Oh, cool. All right. Well, what do we got? Well, keeping it in the Old West, this is the tale of El Muerto, the Headless Horseman of Texas. Okay. So... Um, This was around the 1850s in South Texas. Uh, There was a uh, Mexican horse wrestler named uh, Vidal. Um, He uh, had a group of bandits. They'd go around and steal cattle and horses and stuff like that and sell them off. And eventually, um, he uh, had stolen a horse from a Texas ranger named Creed Taylor. Great name. Um, Yeah, Creed Taylor. And uh, he was also a ranch owner, obviously. And uh, he went on the vendetta. He was out to get Videl. Mm. So uh, he kind of led the hunt to find this guy. And at the time, like, there was very small differentiation between criminals and the rangers because they were fucking cutthroat. And they did a lot of stuff that wasn't quite law-abiding. Okay. (laughs) So... He uh, recruits uh, William Alexander Anderson Wallace, <laughs> also known as Bigfoot. <laughs> okay. Who well, is I mean, another ranger ranch owner. Not, not as many names, so it yeah. just shorts it all up. Yeah. <laughs> W-A-A-W. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Wop. <laughs> um, so uh, him, and, uh, him and Creed... Uh, go off and start setting up plans and tracking down Videl and his group of bandits. So uh, Videl settles down with the bandit camp because they have a uh, plan to ambush an incoming uh, route. And um, while they are asleep, uh, Creed and uh, Bigfoot uh, recruited a few other rangers to... uh, execute everyone in their sleep in the bandit camp whoa so they killed ambushed them and killed them all in their sleep but after that uh they cut off the head of videl's corpse and tied the head and body to a horse and set it free to roam around and scare people who would think of cattle wrestling damn so the body and head would just travel around with this horse until the horse eventually reached a town and they unceremoniously buried the body, which was just sun-battered and disgusting right. and everything like what that. What if the horse didn't reach a town and just died on the desert? It very well could have. <laughs> like, do they think that plant? It very through? well could have. Uh, well, I mean, I don't think they cared. <laughs> um, again, the the Texas Rangers at the time were not the greatest people. Most people in the Old West weren't. No, uh, pretty much everyone in the Old West sucked. <laughs> like, and still do. <laughs> not not just the Old West, I just mean America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, um, so uh, after he was uh, eventually buried, uh, there were sightings across the world, uh, well, not across the world, but uh, across Texas that people were starting to report. 
1917, uh, a couple who uh, were heading to San Diego uh, were going by train, and while they were going through South Texas, um, they had seen um, what they believe was the spirit of El Muerto riding his horse with his head at the side, hanging off the horse, and the head was screaming, it's mine, it's all mine. Oh. There was uh, another sighting that was reported in 1969, and reportedly he was still screaming the same thing. So um, there has been very few sightings ever reported, but this made it into the newspapers. They started writing folk tales about it. And then El Muerto just kind of became this symbolism of ill omen. So whenever El Muerto would show up, it would mean the town was going to have a drought or there was going to be famine. or So he just kind of became like a horseman of the apocalypse in a way. I feel like that's just Old West towns all the time, though. Yeah, Those with, like, I mean, droughts or like fires. Or it pretty anything. much is. Uh, I know they said. Uh, so, uh, so it's pretty accurate. We're just like, oh my god, it's always right. It's like, no, this is what is. Yeah, no, Every it always week. sucks here. <laughs> like it, it is. Uh, if you don't have a solid coin to smash on that table, <laughs> ping, ping, uh, it's gonna suck. <laughs> like, yeah, but uh, yeah, that is the story of El Muerto. They're. Uh, there isn't a ton on him, and there hasn't been sightings in a long time from what I've been reading. No, that's going to be my next question was, uh, have there been any recent sightings? No, not, uh, apparently the last actually reported sighting was 1969. I mean, a few people, you know, comment on the internet saying that, you know, their family members have seen them, and, you know. Yeah. So, very interesting character, though, and... Uh, He's kind of gone down. Uh, I, I know there was a uh, writer for, uh, I believe, a San Antonio paper who ended up writing an entire folktale about it in the early 1900s, and uh, a lot of people believed it was real. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, you know, a lot of people would uh, lock their doors at night and, uh, you know, keep on the watch because they believed he could only come out under the shroud of moonlight. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Cool. That is the tale of El Muerto. Nice. All right. Well, I guess that is all of this uh, stuffed turkey of an episode. We, uh, As we said earlier, uh, I don't think we planned it to be this long. It's just that as, as the week was kind of going on, we, we were just getting more and more stuff to talk about. Yep. So, I mean, that's good, though, because some of you guys will be traveling or some of you will be having to do something in between yeah who knows maybe this will last your whole trip yeah who knows wouldn't that be nice yeah that'd be you could hear me and rocky rambling and me screaming about how much <laughs> i fucking hate vampires <laughs> yeah yeah we, we hope that it makes uh your, your time with your family a little bit more tolerable and maybe you can look back at our times on this episode and have a soft chuckle with yeah your, with your shot of whiskey Shot of whiskey and your doubloon. Because this is the Western episode. <laughs> so you just saddle up and hit the nearest saloon and put on your favorite podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeehaw. But if you do want to reach us while you're spending time with your family, you can do so by emailing us. If you at... want to completely avoid everyone at the table, just message us. <laughs> you can reach us at bladedapplespod at gmail.com. You can reach us on the Instagram or the Facebook at just Bladed Apples or a Bladed Apples podcast. 
And we love it when you leave nice reviews. Yeah, we like we we got some nice, very nice reviews, and we've we've got a couple comments here and there, and we're we're trying to get better promoting the show, guys. So for you that that still listen to us, uh, without us promoting or have been here with You're us the this whole time, you guys are great. Uh, even whenever we rest, uh, whenever we we ruin wrestling matches. <laughs> Oh yeah, sorry, <laughs> <guess>. JT. <laughs> Which we're, we're 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 sorry about spoiling that. I guess I don't know. You could spoil a wrestling match, but you can. Um, and I did. <laughs> yeah, but uh, we, we'll watch that. Um, yeah, Full Gear was great. But uh, <laughs> uh, but you can reach us on there if you have a comment or a con- uh, or, or a request or whatever. We got a request uh, this this. Uh, this week, actually, last night. So One that I think I'm very excited. Yeah, because this is a movie you you like a whole lot. It's been a long time since I've seen it. So, uh, and that may be next week's episode since we're gonna be so busy. We probably want to go something a little bit more familiar, and we'll be talking about Chud, 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 uh, cannibalistic, because yeah, humanoid be, underground dwellers. Yeah, it'll be Thanksgiving weekend, so you're eating. So let's talk about move about cannibals for your uh, leftovers. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, just so whenever you're completely sick of. Seeing turkey or tasting turkey, which me, you don't really have to deal with because we don't eat turkey. Correct. <laughs> we, don't, we don't eat meat, so um, we don't have to worry about it. But for you fuckers that do, <laughs> and you just can't think of having another buy the turkey or the stuffing, we're going to stuff your faces with some human flesh. And we aren't talking about dicks, unlike vampires. <laughs> unlike James Woods. <laughs> yes, unlike James Woods. Uh, we'll be talking about Chud. So, hit us an email if you want a comment. We love hearing from you guys. You want to say the email again? Uh, Blade at Applespod at gmail.com. Okay. And or, or on the Instagram, you can just leave us a comment or you can message us. And, you know, if you have a topic or say, curious about our opinion on something not even related to horror, you can ask us. We'll talk about it. If you have something about movies or life or whatever, Actors. relationship advice. Well, not um, hmm. <laughs> we'll, well, we'll give it our shot. <laughs> we probably aren't the best shot in the, the dark. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll try. Uh, whatever, it's fine. Uh, thanks, Stefan Mize, as always, for doing our art. You can check him out on Instagram or at Crawling Panther Tattoo Parlor in Ocala, Florida. Instagram for either of those. He's an amazing tattoo artist and a great guy and a horror fan. He's awesome. Uh, thanks for Blaze for editing and being a great co host. And definitely editing a lot in this episode because we, we definitely expanded on our jokes. <laughs> so uh, good job, buddy. Thanks. And uh, definitely want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, have uh, a good one. Not, not as far as, of course, the genocide goes, but, you know, being thankful. Being thankful for, for whatever's going on positively in your life. You know, don't, don't take it for granted, guys. And we, we're thankful for you guys for listening. So anything to add? Nope. That's it. All right, guys. Well, remember, until next time, that every day is Halloween, so please act accordingly. We'll see you later. Bye.